Hey everyone, this is David from the Principal's Desk here with another episode of the Principal's Desk podcast. I am joined today on this very gray January outside my window here in the Pacific Northwest, but I'm joined by, uh, uh, I'm going to bring some sunshine here, Dr. Bunny Claxton, who is the Applied uh, Doctoral, uh, Director of Applied Doctoral Research at Liberty University. And um, she's also held a variety of positions in education over her vast 30-year history here. So we're really, really uh, excited to talk to Dr. Claxton. And uh, uh, Dr. Claxton, I'll turn it over to you. How are you doing today? I am doing wonderful, and I'm thankful to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, so um, you sent me your your little bio. I asked uh, uh, you for you know kind of like the very very short version of your bio, just like I asked all the guests here. And uh, you packed a lot here in just a couple sentences. So I'm curious. I see a bunch of different positions here, but uh, once you share out, like what's your what's been your educational journey? How'd you get from graduating high school and you know going to college and then becoming uh i see a superintendent of like the largest online academy i've ever heard of um to uh, what you're doing now over at liberty university well it's kind of a funny story because i actually graduated from high school with like a a two point something (laughs) great point average we'll just leave it there um you know and then today of course i have my doctorate but uh, you know, it's a neat story. I, I went to, to college and went to University of Georgia. Got to say, go dogs. That was an awesome game. Um, a little plug there. <laughs> well done. Well, well done slipping that in there. Sorry to all of our Texas yeah. uh, listeners out there, but yeah, uh, it is what it is. <laughs> um, but I got my, my undergrad uh, at, at UGA and graduated from there. And I was like, yeah, I'm so done with college. I know everything I need to know. I'm not doing this anymore. And, you know, lo and behold, um, you know, there was a different plan for me. And so um, I, I did, I went back and, and got my master's degree and got my doctorate degree, got both of them within five years and um, immediately went into being the superintendent of Liberty University Online Academy. And they've got about 16,000 online students right now. Um, was there for a couple of years and then transitioned into research at the university level. And um developed an, an applied research doctoral program uh, for Liberty University, and I'm currently directing that program. Absolutely love it. Uh, educators get to solve a problem or improve a practice at their own school, and so it's a really popular program, but that is how I've gotten to, to where I am today. Wow, wow. thanks for sharing. Yeah, <laughs> it's always interesting to hear people's journeys. Uh, not all of us graduated from high school or college with a 4.0 GPA and had this like rosy outlook on everything. For some of us, myself included, it, it took a little took a little while to figure out what we were going to do. Uh, I remember when I graduated from college, uh, I remember actually turning in my final, uh, final exam. And um, I said, like, I am done with school forever. That's it. Like, this is like, I'm going to remember this moment forever. And I do remember that moment. Um, but I went back, got my master's. And then a few years later, I went back and got my doctorate. And uh, yeah, like five extra years of school later, you know. Um, <laughs> right. I, but I never thought that was in the cards for me. I was never, mm-hmm. never, ever going to do that. So, um, 
And I will say when I went back and got my doctorate, I was determined to get a 4.0 and I did. So I made up for the, the <laughs> two point something with uh, a 4.0, as long as we don't average them. <laughs> well, you did far better than me in my graduate program. I think I ended up, it was like a three, you know, I don't like maybe like a three, four, somewhere around there. Um, I was just focused on finishing and writing that thing and being done. Um my GPA was something, uh, you know, as long as I passed my classes, I was happy. But, um, <laughs> you know, when we were chatting the other day, uh, you you brought up something here that I think is going to be very beneficial for our listeners to check out here. And uh, it's this notion of uh, reintroducing to our schools, uh, you know, critical thinking skills. Um, and we talked um, at length the other day about uh students just regurgitating information um, kind of on demand with a lot of what's going on with assessments here in this country and uh, students not really going deeper and understanding the information and also forming an opinion about the information uh, for themselves here. And so you've got uh, this 5R system here that uh, I'd really like to dive in today. Receive, research, restructure thinking, respond, and reflect here. And, um, you know, you say that, uh, you know, for students to think this way and thinking critically this way, they can discern the truth for themselves. And I think that's really, really important. So could you kind of give us a little background on this? Where did this come from? And then maybe let's go through and give examples of each of these, uh, each of these uh, pieces of that puzzle. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So um, like David said earlier, like I am the director of applied doctoral research at Liberty University. And what we do there is we have our doctoral candidates, they're all, they're all educators, we have them conduct research. And they do this because they're looking for data, they're looking for evidence, and they're going to use that to make decisions. Well, if we could take that information at the doctoral level, and we could would take these research skills that they use, that these doctoral candidates use, and we can put this in the, the, the elementary schools, the middle schools, the high schools, and we can start teaching those students. I mean, if the ultimate goal is for them to learn how to use data and evidence to make decisions, why, why wait till they're in a doc program to do that? So the rationale here is that if we can back this up and we can teach them these skills earlier, but at a, at a level that's appropriate for them, then we're training them from the beginning to do what we want them to do at the end. And that is to think for themselves. When they leave the K-12 environment, they will be making decisions for themselves. But what have we done in that K-12 environment to train them to make those decisions? Are we training them to just remember, repeat, remember, repeat, remember, repeat? Or are we teaching them to think through different scenarios and different situations mm -hmm. on their own and draw their own conclusions? And I would advocate that that's what we need to be doing, but not necessarily what we are doing. And so you and I had talked about... Um, a book that I've written that is called Mind Over Matter, Critical Thinking Skills. And it was written so that we could teach students to think for themselves. We're not teaching them what they should think. There's no hidden political agenda in here. It's a very base, back to basics, asking, answering questions, looking for evidence. You know, our doctoral candidates, they interview people. They um, survey people. They do Likert scale surveys and they make up their own surveys. We have students in this curriculum doing those same skills, but at a middle school, high school level. And so um, what we teach them is through a process 
that is the five R's, like you mentioned. And every lesson in the entire book uses these five R's to teach the students how to think critically. So the first one is to receive. So students receive information. We all do. We receive information every single day. So let's take, for example, a social media post. Let's say that, that we receive a social media post. Well, what do we do? We immediately respond to it. We, we either like it or you know, we make a comment about it or we repost it. We share it with other people. Um, but rarely do we stop and think, is this information accurate or is this information right. true? Or would this information hurt someone if I shared it or I made this comment? And so it's that impulsivity that we have after we receive information that, that really causes us a lot of grief, causes us to make mistakes, causes students to make mistakes, causes us to hurt people or share information mm -hmm. that's not true. So what we teach through these R's is the first R is you receive information. And then the second one is that you research information. So you don't have to research every social media post that's out there, but the example that I use is on Facebook. There, there was a, a post that was actually had Facebook, the little logo in the background had Mark Zuckerberg's face uh, right there on it. And the, the caption below it said, Mark Zuckerberg dies at 32. Well, in a lot of cases, people are just gonna instantly make a comment and they're gonna have this emotional reaction mm -hmm. and they're gonna share it, you know, but. How many people are actually going to take the time to find out if that's true? I mean, clearly it's not true. But right. in that case, we need to do some research. We need to dig deeper to find out if this information is actually accurate. And it's so important for kids at an early age to start doing that um, because so many of our kids are getting their their news, their information about the world from social media. My daughter uh, gets all of her all of her wisdom from TikTok. Um, and you know, first of all, there there are actually some good things on TikTok. Like I, you know, there there's some stuff on there, but a lot of it it's just people posting whatever they want to post. And she has come up to me many times in the past and has said, you know, oh, this is what happened, or look at this and. I'm telling her like, none of that's accurate. Like, that's not true. Like, wh why don't you go research this stuff? And uh, a lot of kids these days take it at face value. It's like that, but, but, but it's true. Uh, when I was a kid back in the dark ages, and I wanted to find out if something was true or not, I got sent to the library and I had to look it up in an encyclopedia, <laughs> yeah. encyclopedia. like or read a book on it, which again, I'm not saying that everything in there is always 100% accurate either, but there was a, a researching of it that had to happen where I could then maybe get three or four different sources saying, yes, this piece is a piece of information is true. Um, whereas now I go on my phone, I like something, I share something, who knows if it's accurate or not, um, but I've already moved on to the next post, sure, you know, absolutely. and so, but then what I put out there, it, it's out there for other people then to be misinformed and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, so it's just so like, again, kids get everything from their phones. They, they okay. really do. And then uh, we see young adults who have grown up in this environment. They think the same thing now. Everything is tied to their phone and social media posts and whatever is on Twitter or Facebook or whatever must be true. Obviously sure. And, you know, and also we've kind of given them a men mentality of you don't question anything. You just you're you're just receiving information constantly receive, mm -hmm. receive, receive, receive. But where do we teach them to ask questions? 
like that's where they're going to learn is if they're they're actually questioning mm -hmm. what's coming at them and so right. you know with the with the first r they're receiving that information the second one they're they're researching and so they are asking questions so you know in the curriculum we have them interview their parents we have them mm -hmm. interview students we have them interview teachers we they do surveys and some sometimes we give them the some the surveys sometimes we ask them to make them but we have them do this research very intentionally to teach them how to do this. We want them to question, but we want them to question in a way that is appropriate and respectful. I mean, very important right. to, to remind students of that. And so that second R is to research. So they conduct research in every single lesson. And then the third R is to restructure their thinking. In every lesson any teacher ever teaches, the student's thinking should be restructured. They should think differently after they've had a lesson than before because they've learned something. Even if it's they've learned that what they, they received was accurate, they still learned that, but they learned it based on evidence, mm -hmm. not on emotion. A lot of those responses that, you know, students receive information, they respond emotionally. And, you know, throughout this curriculum, we're teaching them the skills they need to respond using data, you know, using the evidence that you find it, and, and it buys them a little bit of time because yes, it, it, I mean, any, a lot of social media can be emotionally charged, but what we have to do as an individual is train ourselves not to respond with those emotions, but to do it with information. And so, so right. with that restructuring of their thinking, you know, we're asking this, the questions, how did your thought processes change based on your research? What did you learn? Did you look for information with an open mind so you could actually find out new information mm -hmm. or did you just research to reinforce what you already thought, your own opinion? I think that's a, that's a really important point. And um, it's researching to, to reinforce and instead of researching for information. And I think one of the best things kids can do um, when we're talking about restructuring our thinking and doing research is to actually have a debate, but debate the opposite side of what, of, of where they, th their thinking was. Uh, and I remember doing this mm -hmm. as a That's kid. Actually and thinking an assignment in the curriculum. Is it? <laughs> Funny that you brought that up. Yes. <laughs> I had the most difficult time. I remember this yes. the most difficult time with this. Cause my brain was like, I don't mm -hmm. believe in this. But that's not the point. The point is right. you understand the facts, if there are facts on both sides, and understand the other person's viewpoint of things. And then now when you have an equal understanding, you make your decision. You are going to, you know, again, restructure thinking maybe one way or the other or a combination of both. Um, but I'm always, I always remember the quote, and I don't know if it's attributed to, I've seen it attributed to Aristotle. It could be more modern than that, but it's um and I'm going to butcher the quote, so I'm not even going to try <laughs> to say it verbatim. But the the gist of the quote is, if you can, you know, hold in your thoughts like the other person's perspective without getting completely upset and angry um, mm -hmm. and have a conversation about it, then you've, you've made it to a certain level of, you know, understanding. And uh, I think that's really important because we just, again, going back to the social media, it's quick, it's fast, it's like very surface level. Um, and we're off to the next thing. But if we want to dive deeper, we've got to understand all sides of it and then make our own decisions on how we feel. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's that, you know, as you're researching and you're learning new information, the hope there is that they do learn about the alternative perspectives. They're learning about something and it's not to change their mind. It's mm -hmm. it's to to help them to just understand a different 
perspective. So you're coming to a new understanding because you've learned new information that yeah. you didn't know before. Absolutely. Absolutely. I actually, this, this, that exact thing happened to me uh, when they brought standardized grading systems to, to the K-12 world. I was at the beginning, I was like, what is this? This is like the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. I know what an A, B, C, D, and F is, but what's a three? Like, what does that mean? Like, what's so like my, you know, families are going to get report cards. I have numbers on it. That's weird. Um, it took me a while, but I learned more about it and I researched more and uh, I changed my thinking or restructured my thinking around it um, based off of the information that I was able to, to gather for myself here and what I think is the most beneficial for students moving forward. I do, however, see the other side of the of the fence as well here and uh, can have a conversation about both. Uh, I'm not going to get into like a, a heated debate about it um, because at the end of the day, like I still want to learn more and, and standardized grading is still something that is still relatively new. But at the same time, you got to be able to be open to changing your philosophy and changing your thinking around based off of information. Too many of us are, are really closed off nowadays um, where, nope, this is what I believe. Well, well, and what to some everything degree, else? we've also trained students when we tell you that you have to choose between A, B, C, D, then there are no other alternatives. And we have been in this Correct. pattern of, of remember, repeat, remember, repeat, remember, repeat. Yep. And we've lost the curiosity and the creativity. And so, you know, when we were talking the other day, you know, I, I like to, to use the example of the great thinkers of the past. I mean, if we think of Marie Curie and we think of Michelangelo and we think of, you know, Bach or Beethoven or Van Gogh or, you know, Thomas Edison, the, the inventors, those were not standardized thinkers. They didn't conform to this same information that everybody on the planet is learning. They were actually divergent learning. They were, they were learners who were looking to do something different and unique. And when we think about these geniuses from the past, we think about their unique thumbprint that they mm -hmm. left on history. And so if we're wanting to produce, produce students like that into our society, then we may need to question, should we be teaching this standardized conformity or should we be teaching more creativity and curiosity uh -huh. and allowing them, we talk about differentiated instruction, we wanna differentiate our instruction on the same exact content. So it kind of, these kind of contradict one another. Uh -huh. You know, we really need to be allowing more freedom of creativity and freedom of choice and learning that then you go, you're gonna get their buy-in, you're gonna have them uh -huh. motivated and engaged in the learning process because we're not making it simply remember, repeat, remember, repeat, remember, repeat. No right. one wants to do that. Adults don't want to do that. Students want to, don't want to do that. So, so I, I would advocate, let's bring curiosity and creativity <laughs> back in. I'm not saying that standardized testing should be totally thrown out. I know that it has its place, but maybe we, we have it in the wrong place right now. Too much of an emphasis on it. I agree. And I, I agree with you, a, a bunch of those comments, um, where I do believe there is a place for standardized testing. Um, um, and I'm going on the record saying that right now. Um, but I agree with you that the emphasis on it is has just blown up way too much here, but also like the the, the stress we put on kids and educators mm -hmm. to produce on this one exam is absolutely ridiculous. But I'm with you on, you know, I was a horrible test taker as a kid. And I struggled through the multiple choice bubbles, the old Scantron sheets made me nervous. And, um, you know, I excelled when it was like, oh, I can do like a presentation on it. 
Mm-hmm. It's, sure. I'm, 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 I'm showing my teachers that I can demonstrate the same level of mastery on the content just in a different way. And I think that that goes nicely into, you know, the respond piece of the R's as well. It's how we, you know, the different methods we're giving students to respond to the content, to show mastery of the content, uh, not just in maybe the way we as the teacher feel the most comfortable, you know, or, you know, or the way we've always done it. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how many, you know, of us in our professional lives, you know, fill out multiple choice bubbles. We, we, we don't, I don't think I've ever done that for like an actual job function with anything I've done, or even like just write a five paragraph paper. Like I, no one does that, but yet these are like the two main methods that we have students respond to the content and, you know, we assess them, but Offering them choice, that creativity that you talk about um, is something that there are teachers out there that do this really well, but then there's also um, some folks that are really struggling in this area. So, so what, what can they do to, to help well, students in that area? Well, so let's say that they want to do a, a writing assignment, and let's just say that it happens to be on, on a zebra. You know, we we had talked about this um, before, but, you know, if, if they want to do writing and they want to differentiate this instruction and they want to motivate and engage their students, then give them some choices that, that have to do with writing. Does it does it have to be that they all have to write this five paragraph essay or could they possibly write, you know, they could write something that's fiction. They could write something that's nonfiction. It could be a non-traditional type zebra. We talked about, you know, there's a zebra shark, a zebra swallow. Mm-hmm. They're all, you know, there's the Marty from Madagascar zebra, mm-hmm. you know, you've got Dr. Seuss's zebra. There are a lot of different kinds of zebra. Why do we have to, why does it have to be just the typical black and white one type that everybody knows? So, you know, they can pick any kind of zebra. They could use one, two, three, but if they're musically inclined, could they actually write a, a song mm-hmm. about a zebra? Um, they could write the music and the lyrics that go with that. It's still writing. Mm-hmm. Um, what if they like poetry? And you think about poetry and all the different types of poems that could be written. There are lots of different varieties of poems that could be written. And so right. you know, it, it doesn't have to be that they write specifically this along my guidelines with my rubric with no ability to be flexible whatsoever, no creativity allowed, you know, you do it this way or it's wrong. You know, if we can allow them to start being uh, involved in their learning process more, it will help with that engagement and motivation factor that we see is so prevalent right Mm -hmm. now. I mean, it's hard for a lot of teachers and administrators to get students to come to school, let alone have them motivated and engaged while they're there. If that's a problem, Let's look at ways that we can we can fix right. that. You know, as an adult, you want to be motivated and engaged in your job. There are ways that your leadership can engage you mm-hmm. or they can make you check out. I mean, and Absolutely. so what are we doing as educators? Are we engaging them in ways where they will actually buy in? Yeah. Um, interesting, interesting comments there. I remember in, ooh, I think it was sixth grade. It could have been fifth grade. It was a long time ago. We'll put it that way. It was elementary school, fifth or sixth grade. Um, I, I couldn't tell you anything I really did in elementary school. I mean, it was a long time ago, and I made a solar system diorama with the styrofoam balls, like we all did when you know in the eighties. <laughs> um, but I remember um, it was uh, we were learning about you know the dangers of drug use, and we had a choice. And I remember this: I could write a paper, or I could do something a little bit more creative. So I remember I asked my teacher, can I write a song? And she said, yes. Now, 
I've been a musician for most of my life. Um, my degrees, my undergraduate degrees in music, I, I still play. Um, so that was fun and creative for me. And I wrote a song. I recorded it on my little boom box with my keyboard. Um, <laughs> I still remember some of the lyrics of the song uh, and the tune. Now, if I written a paper, I would not remember any of that. Exactly and it's not like I need this. Point. Yeah. Exactly it's not like I need point. to remember the song to remember that, like, yeah, probably shouldn't do drugs. But I remember the assignment. Mm -hmm. And that is important to me. That's a memory that I'm going to have for the rest of my life here. And that, I mean, I've written, we, we write thousands of papers as when we were in school. Couldn't, couldn't tell you anything about any exactly. of them. Exactly. Exactly. And the other thing too that you brought up is that as educators, we kind of got to practice what we preach. If if I'm sitting in a staff meeting as a school leader and I tell my my teachers who are all there, you know, we're all going to take the next hour here. We're going to write a paper on our philosophy <laughs> of education. They're all going to storm out on me. No, they're, I mean, and rightfully so. But yep, that's, we do that same thing to kids mm -hmm. on a daily basis. And um, we're losing that motivation. I, I read an article the other day about you know, student motivation is at like the lowest point ever. Like it's just, it's a combination, I think, that of, of a lot of different things that have happened over the last few years. But getting kids to be excited about school and having them write a paper is not it. Uh, absolutely not it. So um, let's finish out here. You got the, the final R for reflect. And I, and I think that this is an element that is missing in many classrooms across the country. So tell me about reflect. Absolutely. To me, I think this one is, is critically important because as much as experience is a great teacher, I don't think it is the best teacher. I think it is the reflection component that is the best teacher because this gives you the opportunity to look back at the information you received at what you researched, how you restructured your thinking and how you responded. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that fourth R is, is where they respond to what the, the information they received and that what they researched. But that fifth one is they get to look back over the entire process. And this again is done, every single lesson is done this way. And I know as, as a teacher, I used to be in the K-12 environment. And when I'm teaching, I teach, I teach, I teach, we test, I move on. I teach, I teach, I teach, yeah. we test, we move on. There's not a time where I have time to go back or I even think to go back and reflect over the whole process of what they've just experienced. Mm -hmm. but, They've gone through these four R's. They get to that fifth one. This is the time to go back and ask those questions. You know, did, did I do enough research? You know, did I research it in the best way? And if I didn't, how could I have done re additional research or more, you know, more research that was different? Um, with the respond component, you know, you respond to it and then there's an outcome. So, you know, when you reflect, you say, okay, was the outcome what I wanted it to be, or is it the best outcome I could have hoped for? Or mm -hmm. if I wanted a different outcome, what could I have done different in that entire process to make a different outcome? And so that reflection component allows them to think about all of the different things that they just went through. Were they best case scenario? And if they weren't, how can you change that in the future? That's what we're wanting them to learn. It's not necessarily about the content. It's about the skill set that they're gaining as they go mm -hmm. through these five R's. And they learn to 
apply the analysis of that experience to future decisions that they make. That's what's mm -hmm. so important about that reflection component. And I think what's also been lost is it's, to me, it's more about the journey than the than the actual product mm -hmm. itself here. It's what did you learn? You know, take mm -hmm. us through that. And unfortunately, with the way that we assess kids now, like you just said, it's I teach, I assess, I move on. Mm -hmm. And there's very little opportunity. And I think this is, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, I'm actually pointing fingers at the system where it's like, don't have the time or the opportunity to go back and reflect and, and to reteach or rebuild or, or come back to concepts again, uh, because we've got pacing guides that are just like, uh -huh. <laughs> they're yes. crazy and districts demanding, you know, we got to get through this and you got to be here on this day. And um, it's more about that journey. And one thing I've always disliked about standardized tests is that it gives you a score at a moment in time. And I worked at a, um, at a middle school, as a principal middle school that was um, predominantly full of English language learners, lower income, um, a lot of uh, immigrant families to the country. And um, they would score on the lower end of these standardized assessments for, for a lot of different reasons. But what was missed was that even though they still scored on the lower side, where they came from, as far as like, you know, where they were maybe a year or two before, as far as their understanding of content was so dramatically higher than mm -hmm. it was, but it doesn't, it doesn't reflect anywhere. We just see that number. And that's where, you know, as educators, we need to reflect and see what's that journey of our students, but then also give them an opportunity and say, look at how far you've come. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, and, and we're thinking about more abstract concepts, like has your thinking changed? How do you approach things differently? We so rarely do that. It's more, okay, what's your score? Okay, let's turn the page and yes. keep going. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't work. We know it doesn't work, but yet we keep doing it. We, keep, we do. You're right. We keep doing it. And, and that's why I say that reflection component should not be, uh, it shouldn't be missed. We have to come back, circle back around and say, okay, what did we do well? What would we do different? You know, what will we do next time? Those are three very important questions to ask when you're reflecting on an experience, a learning experience that you have. Yeah, yeah we do this with, we do this as school leaders as well. Um, when we're, we're creating professional learning communities, a lot of work that I do in schools has to do with professional learning communities. And I always put on, you know, the, the, the process here, there's a reflect component. You know, go back. Is this working? Is it not working? What would you change? Um, and when I talk to schools about, you know, what's been like in the process for the last few years, they'll say like, uh, we, we're, we're lost. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, you started at some point. Where did you, where did things go off the rails? Like, we don't know. It's like, because you never stopped to reflect back exactly. and then you never made changes as needed. Um and it's just like, it's again, this is a cycle that then we pass that along to our students and it's like, okay, yeah, let's turn the page. Let's just keep going. Um, I think these five R's are, are great. They're important. I, I, I like everything in fives. If you've read any of the, the blog posts from the principal's desk, uh, a lot of what I write has to do with it's five ways to do this. Five things here. Five. It's so I like things in fives. This happens to be in five. So <laughs> I, I like it even more. Uh, not only is it fives, but they're all R's. So it's like the five yeah. R's. It's just... <laughs> You know, it just, it, it's easy to understand. It's easy to remember here. And so um, I, I just, 
you know, an opportunity here. We just started 2023, uh, you know, new year, kind of new ways to think about things and a uh, new opportunity to reach students in a different way um, and, and, and the ways that we should be doing it. And so um, if I wanted to learn more about um, the five R's or other, you know, books that you've written or just other information, where, where can I go? How can I get more information? So there are a couple different places. Um, one, you can go to www.drbunnyclaxton.com. Drbunnyclaxton.com, that is my website. I have information there. Um, it, you can also email me at um, drbunnyclaxton at gmail.com. Um, and then also all of my books are for sale at kendallhunt.com. So it's Kendall Hunt Publishing. Um, and, and I would be happy to share more information. Uh, I mean, I went into education. I kind of think I went into it as an idealist. I wanted to go in and change the world. And, you know, my first three years of teaching changed me way more than, uh, you know, I impacted education. It impacted me. And I realized that it's very difficult to, to be an educator who wants to change the world because there's there's it's very difficult to do and so you know you and I talked about you know yesterday you know when we partner up together and we support one another and, and we're teaching you know as many people as we can this you know it's not a new narrative but it's an old narrative I think brought back you know it is this back to basics mm -hmm. let's we we over time and I don't think this is blame you know there's no one to blame but over time we have lost the love of learning if we can get students to love to learn again, there's not a battle to be had because they will learn on their own. Mm -hmm. But we've kind of taken that away from them. And I think it's time that we give that back. We need to yeah. teach them to love to learn. I agree. I agree. And, and one thing that I like about uh, the books that you've written here um, is that everything seems very it's, 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 it's based in, in practical terms. So um, you have these step-by-step -step, step guides that I think are, are great. Uh, you know, the one that I'm just looking at here online, you know, a step-by-step -step guide to writing an IEP. Um, yes. I, I, my background is not in special education, although I've sat through hundreds, if not into the thousands of IEPs. And I know that uh, the writing process of these, it, it's a beast. And a lot of, especially newer teachers in special education are just, it's Absolutely. like a deer in headlights. It's there's it so much there. So having things be very practical and step by step, I think is is fantastic here. So um, if you want to check those books out or check more out about uh, what Dr. Claxton has to offer, uh, I'm going to put the links in the notes section of the podcast. And uh, you'll be able to click and uh, research for yourself and uh, to connect with Dr. Klassen if you'd like here. But thanks so much for, for joining us here um, at, uh, on the Principal Assess podcast. Any, any kind of final thoughts from you here before we wrap it up? Well, I, I, just, I know you have a huge following. And so I would just like to, to give a huge shout out to the teachers, the administrators, the superintendents. I know that you have a tough job right now. And I commend you for, for sticking in there, doing an amazing job and really having a heart for kids. That's really what we need right now is educators who 
are, are there to change the world, to make a positive impact in education. And so thank you for doing what you do on a daily basis, because your, your job is different than my job. Mine is, is just a different one, and we have a different path, but we are all on the same path to make education better. So just thank you uh, for what you do. I know it isn't easy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Dr. Claxton, for joining us here on an episode of the Principal's Desk Podcast, and uh, hope to connect with you uh, sometime down the road for, uh, for part two of this. All right. Sounds great. Thank you for having me. This was fun. All righty. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Hey, everyone. This is David, the founder of The Principal's Desk. If you want to learn more about the professional development services that we offer, please check out www.principalsdesk.org or email us at info at the principalsdesk.org.